Welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, thanks for coming out in the middle of rain and um, braving all of the, the illness and colds that have been going on around everywhere. Thanks for coming out to be with us. We are just a few days before Christmas. I can't believe we're just three days ahead of that. And looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be focusing on what does it mean that he came? What does it mean that he became man, that, that God the Son became man? What does that mean? Why did he do that? And what's the implications for us? So go ahead and turn your Bibles to John, the first chapter of John. We'll be focusing just really on verses 14 to 18, but we're going to read verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. This is God's holy inspired word. And I'd encourage you, like for me, sometimes Christmas and Christmas messages can get repetitive, right? Sometimes you can just kind of hear it and it goes by you and you forget how significant what we celebrate really is. You can, you can become so familiar with the story that it fails to affect you. So today, before we read, I want to ask you to read this like you've never heard it before. So I'm not asking you to pretend, but just read it as if you've never heard these words in your life and as if these words are the first time you're hearing them. So let's listen to God's holy inspired word for us today. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would receive your words of life. Thank you that to all who did receive your son, who we just read about, you gave the right to become children of you. 
Thank you, God, that, that as we receive your Son, we are made born again, not of our will, but of yours. God, I pray that your hope would fill us today, that you would give us hope for your new life that you give us through your Son, that you would give us hope through the Word becoming flesh, you would give us true hope, true joy, true peace in you, true faith. In Jesus' name we pray. God, would you enable all of us to hear you? Would you enable me to preach by your Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So, as humans, if you think about it, we're capable of a lot. We, we've done a lot of things in the thousands of years we've been here as a, as a race. Humans have accomplished a lot of different achievements, all kinds of building projects and marvels, all kinds of discoveries, mathematics, even for those who don't like it, scientific discoveries of all types. Mankind, to some degree, has, has discovered how to beat many illnesses. It's quite astounding through vaccines and antibiotics and, and all kinds of medical solutions. There's been all kinds of marvels. This, this week I was reading about how one of Boeing's lunar landers, they were, they were shooting to put men back up into space again, and the goal is to put men on the moon and have a base there. We've already walked on the moon. We have satellites revolving around, going around the solar system. We have CRISPR. It's a gene editing technology. Humanity's achieved a lot. But here is the problem. We still haven't done what fundamentally we need to have done. Mankind still can't address the biggest issue on their own that we need to have addressed. Ever since Adam's fall, man has been born into brokenness. There's a fundamental problem with humanity that's broken. There's a brokenness because of sin. There's a brokenness to every human. And you experience that every day. No matter how great human achievements are, you experience the effects of the brokenness of sin, the brokenness of mankind each and every day. No matter how advanced our society gets, we still don't seem to be able to evolve on our own beyond the brokenness that sin causes. There is a fundamental issue that man has never been able to solve on their own and never will be. There's a fundamental problem. We're born into a broken relationship, a relationship that's broken from relating to our creator, our source of light, our source of life. The creator who, who is able to make us whole and enable us to live in a way that's pleasing to him. And so no matter how advanced humans get, they, they, we always seem to be spinning our wheels. You know, we would have thought that 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we wouldn't have so much brokenness in the world. And yet brokenness remains for those who are in the world. And yet God came to do something for us. He designed a rescue mission that he told us about 2,000 years ago, revealed to us through his son, a way that humanity no longer needs to remain broken. The greatest rescue mission to reconcile us at our very nature to God, to fix the thing that we can never fix, to give us a new nature, an unbroken nature, to, to have 
a relationship with God anew. And he did that, and John tells us he did that by sending the Word. The Word became flesh. The Word has done what John tells us, what we could never do so that we might receive his grace and his truth. That's, that's the main idea that from this passage that we want to see this morning is that the Word has done what we could never do so that we might receive his grace and his truth, something we could never do on our own. We're going to look really just at verses 14 to 18. And in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Don't become too familiar with that idea. What, what is this Word? We're going to answer three questions really today. We're going to, the first question is, 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 who is this Word? Who is this Word? What does it mean that the Word became flesh? And then why would the Word of God become flesh? Who, who is this Word? What does it mean that He became flesh? And why? Why would He become flesh? So first, who is this word? We see at the very beginning, it says, and the word, in verse 14, became flesh. Who is this word? John's John's already begun to tell us, and it reveals it to us throughout his gospel. But in the very first verse of John, in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the word. So we know something about this word. This word was already existent in the very beginning. Before there was a beginning, this word was. And then he says, and the word was God. So in the very beginning, before there was a beginning, the Word was, already was the Word in the beginning. So the Word was pre-existent to time, pre-existent to creation. But the Word also was with God. Not the same as God the Father, but with God, together with God. And then it says, and the Word was God, the very same person of God. So God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son... And we'll see later, kind of giving away, the Word was the Son of God. With God, he was, the, he was God. Verses 6 and 9 and 11, 13, 20, 24, all throughout Genesis. In Genesis 1, God spoke. At the very beginning of the Bible, God spoke. So when John says, in the beginning, we're meant to look back to Genesis and see, wait a minute, he's talking about something at the very beginning, and prior to the beginnings, what existed was the word and we see that God spoke in Genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning verse 3 God spoke into the darkness Genesis 1 3 he said let there be light and then God speaks time after time again in creation God speaks and each time God said and his word created all that there was and all that there is all that's in the heavens the earth and all the creatures of the earth God said his powerful word was what created. God's word is tied to his work in creation. And God tells us that his word accomplishes things as well. In Isaiah 55, 11, God speaks about his word. He says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose. God's word was powerful, creating all things. God's word goes out and accomplishes his purposes. Not only that, we see all throughout the Old Testament, his word is active. In Psalm 29, it tells us his word actively brings about judgments. In Psalm 107, 20, he says, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. 
all throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's God's word that it creates, that reveals, that heals, that saves his people. So when you're hearing this word that John speaks about, you're hearing about the revealed person of God, the, the powerful creator of God, the word that heals, the word that accomplishes God's purpose, the word that gets things done, the word that delivers, that discloses God's will and carries out his will. And so John really tells us that God's word is the ultimate self-disclosure of God. God desires to make himself known, and he makes himself known through his word. His word is the ultimate self-disclosure. And so what John is telling us is that this word of God, the ultimate self-disclosure of God, has come down to us. This word is a distinct person. Verses 3 and 4 of John 1. Look down your Bibles. It says, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Then notice something else about the word. It says, in him was life. In him was life, not, not just to be physically alive, but, but the actual essence of life, the thing that we still can't really understand what makes humans alive. In him was life. In him was light, understanding. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not overcome. It. The word is not defeated by darkness. He has spiritual life, and him is the life that we need. He's the light that we need. And then John bears witness in verse 17. Look down your Bibles in his entire gospel that the word is none other than Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second, who the Son of God is. He is the all-powerful creator, the giver, the sustainer of life, the one who brings us life, who is the supplier, the source of life, the one who is the source of all light and understanding. And he has been given to us in Jesus Christ. As verse 18, it says, God has made him known. He's the eternal son of God. Now we know that God's not spirit. He's not, he's not visible to the normal human eyes. And so what has God done? He wants us to know him. And so he's made his word himself manifest in his son becoming flesh. So who is this word? This word is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And what does it mean that he became flesh and dwelt among us? This is the second question we're going to answer. What does it mean that he became flesh and dwelt among us? So in order to understand why the word became flesh and what it means became flesh, we have to first see who the word is, that he is the Son of God became Jesus Christ. And now we see what does it mean that he became flesh and dwelt among us? That word for dwelt, it's, it's actually the word for pitching a tent. Now, if, if you have ever been camping and, and you've pitched a tent, you're, you're living that experience. Now, imagine somebody would come alongside you and they pull up in a big RV and, and they put the sides out and they hook up to electrical and water and sewer and everything else. It's not the same, right? You're like, yeah, you're kind of camping, but not really. You're not really living with us in the same way that we live. You know, you're saying you're going to come camping with us, but that's not really camping. It's what my family did for the summer. We went what we call glamping. You know, it's not really roughing it. When, when you pitch your tent with somebody, though, you're, you're having the same experience. You're experiencing the same thing that they experience. You are living in the same manner that they live. You are dwelling in the same way that they dwell 
and you're experiencing life the same way they experience life. So it says that the word became flesh and dwelt. He pitched his tent among us. He, going back to an Old Testament word, he tabernacled among us. He, he no longer put his presence in an ark in a tent. He now has pitched his own tent and he lives with us. What does that mean? It means he's experienced everything that we experience in every way. He is a part of the human experience in every way that we have been a part of the human experience. We can get so used to the imagery, though, of Jesus as a baby in a manger that we fail to see how incredible it is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just take on. So this creative Word of God, the Son of God, the one who created all things, the one who calls all things to exist, he didn't just assume human form, come down as a man, he, he didn't just automatically even assume the form of a baby. God became flesh. He revealed himself in being like us in every way. He became like us in every way. And God spoke to us in revealing himself. Hebrews tells us about what he did in doing that. In Hebrews 1, it says, But in these last days he's spoken to us, again, that word he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So the Son, who's the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and this Son became flesh. Instead of inheriting the sin nature through an earthly father, Jesus was conceived within Mary by the Holy Spirit of God. We hear how it happened. In Luke, we hear from Mary's perspective. He wrote in Luke 1.34, it says, And Mary said to the angel, when the angel has already told Mary that what's going to happen, that you're going to conceive a baby, and she's a virgin, she's trying to think, how in the world is this going to be? So she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Adam was created by God. He was formed by God out of the dust of the ground. God breathed on him, gave him life. Now Jesus, the man, he submits and becomes created by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Matthew tells us about this miracle too in Matthew 1.18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That's an, that's an obvious response. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived... In her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not, so she gave him birth, and he called his name Jesus. You know, the ancients weren't clueless. They weren't clueless. Joseph wasn't clueless. They knew how babies were made. They knew that no one's pregnant on their own. And so Joseph, he wants to quietly divorce her since they were still in their betrothal period. They hadn't yet come together. But the angel assures him, no, everything's just as Mary has been told by the 
angel, the baby conceived or is from the Holy Spirit, created by the Holy Spirit. What you are hearing about is a new creation. Don't miss the significance of that. Adam, first creation. Now we have a sinless creation in Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote that the child he called holy, the son of God. For, God, for good reason, Ab, the apostle Paul referred to Jesus as the last Adam. The first of a new creation, the last Adam. No more creations will be made. This is the new creation, Jesus Christ, created in Mary's womb. That's important for us because it's our hope for resolving our problem. He became human so completely that in every way he took on every aspect of life that we live in the flesh with all its weaknesses, with all its vulnerabilities, with, with all of our temptations. That's good news for you to know that he became flesh in every way like you are. He didn't start as a man, though. He didn't bypass infancy and childhood. He took on flesh thoroughly and completely. Philippians tells us in Philippians 2 just what this humility of Jesus was. What did it mean? It says in Philippians 2, 6, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He held on to, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think about that. The one who created all emptied himself of all of his glory, emptied himself of his rights. He submitted and became human. You know, when I was younger, I, I really loved my dogs. We always had a dog growing up, and, and they became kind of part of the family. And I became really close to my dog, Luke, and he, he, he became like a family member to me, and I remember it was so sad when he passed away. But he wasn't equal to me, and he's not equal, pets aren't equal to us as humans. And if you have a dog or a cat, and I'll even concede to a cat, I respect that. I respect that they are made and created for our good and for our enjoyment. So if you have a dog or a cat or a rat or whatever kind of pet you have or a snake or a lizard like a couple of my children... You might defend your pets. You might do things for your pets, right? You might protect them. You might care for them in significant ways. How many, how many people here have ever had a pet or have a pet? Just put your hand up for a minute. Ever had a pet or have a pet? All right. You, you might do some things for those pets, right? You might have done some things. You might make sacrifices, do things for your pets. But it'd be a little unusual or highly unusual and a little absurd if you were to give your life for your dog or your cat or your lizard, It'd be a little much. I know you might be thinking, no, not really. Yes, it would. It would be a little much. And if you don't think it's a little much, we can talk later. <laughs> now, imagine if somebody you knew became a dog because they loved dogs so much. They were like, you know what I'm going to do? I love dogs so much. I've seen all those PETA commercials. I've I've listened to all of those songs by Sarah McLaughlin pleading to adopt dogs, and, and I want to become a dog now to rescue dogs. I think you'd have something to say to them. I hope you'd have something to say to them. You know, I doubt any of you would sign up, let's say not a pet, but maybe a squirrel. I looked out the window and I was preparing, I saw these squirrels, and I really am annoyed by squirrels, at least the squirrels in my yard. You know, maybe you... you, you 
you've seen squirrels before or rats or lizards or snakes, and you say, you know what? I'm going to become a rat or a snake or a lizard to save them. It'd be absurd, wouldn't it? Or maybe a tick. Anybody here ever had a tick? You don't have to raise your hand. It's a little private. You know, I get that. Nobody would become a tick to save the ticks. But all of those things are a far lesser value than a human. None of us, even as humans, we would consider becoming a worm or an ant or a tick if you're sane because you're a far greater value. Now think about how the far greater value that, of who this word is who's become flesh. He's the word. He is the revealed nature, character of God. He is the creator of all. The omniscient, which means all-knowing, the omnipotent, which means the all-powerful, the omnipresent, the everywhere-present spirit of the Son of God, the one who's always existed from all of eternity, became flesh, and he wasn't just born a baby. Think about the condescension of becoming a human. In Philippians that we read about, it says that he didn't grasp or hang on to But instead, he humbled himself in the likeness of human flesh. Well, think about it. He became a human nine months before we saw him in the manger. He became a human embryo. Think about how tiny that is. You know, we like to think of ourselves as very important, but in relation to God, we're not. And then you think of how he came. He condescended to become a human embryo. The one who designed life submitted to his own designs, becoming so small, too small to see to begin with, experiencing everything it means, pitching his tent, becoming human. The creator, the the vast expanse, the cosmos that have yet to be explored or fully measured. Think about that. We have yet to explore or fully measure the cosmos. This is the creator of the cosmos, humbling himself, becomes so small that we couldn't even see it to begin with. The one who created DNA humbled himself and submitted to being formed in in Mary's womb before He was even born. He denied himself all the privileges and rights. He set aside all of the recognition and worship that he was worthy of. Became a relatively unknown human to begin with. Born to a relatively obscure, poor family in the lowest of conditions. And John writes that he dwelt or lived or put his tent among us. He lived among us. So that no longer would it only be a high priest who could go in somewhat, in a limited way, experience the presence of God a few times a year in very specific ways when there's blood involved. Now Jesus has come and he's pitched his tent among us, so now his presence is with us. But why in the world would he do that? Why would the creator of everything do that? you got to wonder, right? Why in the world would the creator of everything do that? Why would our creator do that when we're the ones who rebelled against him? tells us in John that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Motivated by love, the word became flesh so that we might receive his glory. We might see his glory and receive his grace and truth. Motivated by love, the word became flesh that we might see his glory and receive his grace and truth. The the question really for us is, do you see his glory? And have you received his grace and truth? 
It says, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He marvelously revealed his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. And all throughout the Gospel of John, all throughout the entire New Testament, the book of Revelation that we just finished, we see the glory of the only Son from the Father revealed. We saw his glory as he humbled himself, the glorious humility of Christ as he humbled himself to be conceived in Mary's womb. We saw his glory as he raised, when he was on the earth, he raised the dead to life. He made the lame to walk. We we have seen his glory. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear. We've seen his glory as he healed lepers. We've seen his glory in all of his character and attributes. He healed paralytics. He, He ministered to the unlovely, untouchable, those whose society considers the lowest, the outcast. We saw his glory as he kept all of God's law and lived a perfect life. Not for himself, but for you and I. We've seen his glory in doing what only a creator can do. He created food by blessing it. By using words, he created food. Only the creator does that. We've seen his glory when he calmed the storms and commanded the weather and walked on water. We've seen his glory when he, he cast out demons and delivered those who were oppressed of the devil. We saw his glory in the Gospels as he spoke words of forgiveness to those who were trapped in sin and laboring on his crushing burdens. We have seen his glory in all of his teaching. We've seen his glory in him going to Jerusalem on purpose, submitting to evil men, evil rulers, and an evil trial. We saw his glory as he hung on the cross and forgave a criminal who was being crucified beside him. We saw the glory of the Son of Man as Son of God as he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We saw his glory in giving his life in the place of sinful humanity. We've seen his glory in the resurrection from the dead. We've seen his glory in his ascension and in all of the book of Revelation that he's reigning over all things. But look at verse 16. Look down your Bibles. Why? So that we might see his glory, but here's the other thing. So that from all of his fullness, all the things we just talked about, all of who the word of God is, all that that encompasses, all the fullness of the word of God in every way, in all of his fullness as the son of God and as the word became flesh from his fullness and all of that he is, all of the creator, all that he was as a human and from his fullness we have all received. That's what we're meant to see and receive As we prepare our hearts for Christmas, from his fullness we have all, from his fullness we have all received, from everything that he is as the creator, everything that he's done as a human, everything in all of his humility, in every area, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, it says in verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Romans 8 tells us, Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, the law of Moses, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Why did he send his son so we might receive his grace? In his truth, the grace that we might receive is is that that he might be condemned for us, that, that we might have all the righteous requirements of the law fulfilled in us because of all of his fullness, all that he did. 
Grace through the Son of God becoming incarnate. Grace through his perfect life in our place. Grace through Jesus showing us the Father through all of his life and teaching. Grace through his death. Grace through his resurrection. Grace through all of his fullness. So what will you do with the grace and truth that we've received? Have you received his grace and truth? Will you receive his grace and truth? The first way to receive his grace and his truth personally is to place your faith in the Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us for your and my sake. And when you do that, something happens. When when we place our faith, when, when we in our brokenness, we in our separation from God, when we have no ability to relate to God in all of our brokenness, when we place our faith in him who became a new creation... Something happens that we could never do. He, he gives us new life. And not just, not just new life in the sense of, okay, I get the fresh start as a human. No, he gives us his life. What kind of life? Oh, the life of the new creation. What is that new life, new creation? He gives us his sinful life, a sinless life. He gives us his sin-free nature. He gives us the ability now to have a new nature. He gives us his own very new nature. He is the firstborn of creation. And then unlike in Adam, we receive Adam's nature through being born into human flesh. Now through faith, we receive the nature of Jesus, this new creation. Think about what that means. Don't downplay what it means to become a Christian. What it means to become a Christian, to place your faith in Jesus, is not just that he will help you. Yes, it does mean he helps you. It doesn't just mean that he makes your life better, because really, sometimes your life doesn't feel better. He doesn't make your life easier. It doesn't mean those things. It doesn't mean that somehow you're more deserving now. What it means is that you receive, just like Jesus did, you are reborn You are reborn as a human. You have a new nature now inside of you. You've been given the new nature of Jesus so that he is now called the firstborn among many brothers. Not born of the flesh, not born of the will of man, but born of the will of God. Just like when God made Jesus in the womb, when we become believers, by faith he remakes us. You can't see it but it doesn't change the reality. We too are born of the Spirit of God. That's when Jesus told Nicodemus, says, you must be born again. Nicodemus was like, what do you mean? What Jesus was telling him is there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Your very nature is broken and it has to be replaced. You have to be given a new nature born again by the Spirit, something you can't do. And yet our hope is that the Word became flesh That by faith now we might be made new. Yes, the old sin nature still remains. We're tempted by our sin nature. It's around, but we we now have a new nature. One that can desire, that's no longer broken. That can desire God, to please God, to live for him. Think about that. I think sometimes we still act and believe as if we are still bound and broken. Now, yes, in one sense, our humanity is broken, our flesh is broken, our old nature remains, but yet we are given one, a new nature, born again by the very Spirit of God, empowered and enabled, now that we can live like Him, because before we had no ability to, but now, because of Christ, we receive His nature. 
That is the grace and truth that we receive. And it still tempts us until we're delivered and made entirely new in the resurrection. But now there's hope. We couldn't do it. We couldn't unbreak ourselves. We couldn't give ourselves a new nature. We couldn't make ourselves recreated. But God has done what we could not do in sending his son to come in the flesh. First, 2 Peter 1 tells us of this marvelous grace and truth of Jesus like this. It says in 2 Peter 1, it says, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. Now listen, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become what? Listen to this wording here. You may become what? Partakers of the divine nature, recreated by God, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That should astound you. That's who you are, a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. He's remade you so you can be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire, he has set us free so we're no longer broken at our very core. By faith, we receive the new nature of Jesus, one that desires now to submit to God and indeed is able to as we walk by the Spirit. He said in verse 4, he's granted to us his precious and his very great promises, so through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. We receive the grace and truth of Jesus by knowing that we have a new nature now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what's transpired. You've been given a new nature. You've been born again. It's a big deal. You've been made new. And how is that possible? It's possible because of what happened 2,000 years ago at what we celebrate as Christmas when the Word became flesh and He lived among us. The Word is done what we could not do so that we might receive His grace and His truth. We're born again. We're given a new nature, desire to please God. We're now able to live pleasing God because we have this new nature. We're born again. Christian, do not live as if you're not new. Live in the good of this reality today and every day. You're going to continue to sin. You're going to tempt you to be tempted by sin. But don't forget, you have a new nature. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit so you don't gratify those desires of the flesh. And then by His grace, live by His grace, saying, God, your grace is what gives me life and light. You are the life and light of men. You are my life and my light. Jesus, would would you give me your life, enable me to live based on your new nature? Would you enable me to live in your light, walking in the revelation of who you are, that you've given me very great and precious promises? That now we're able to say no to sin and live to righteousness as we live by the Spirit and rely on his grace and truth. What are you relying on? What are you receiving? 
when you are tempted and when you fall in sin, remind yourself of the truth of who you've been made to be. Repent of living like your old man and then receive his grace and truth. There's true hope that he can make us new because he's made us new and he's continually in the process of fixing all that's broken because he's done what we could never do already. He became flesh, he dwelt among us, we've seen his glory, the glory of the only son, full of grace and truth and from his fullness we have all. This who's the all here? Everyone who believes. How do you receive it? Look, look in verse 12 of John 1. Look down your Bibles. But to all who did what? Receive him. Have you received him? Are you receiving him in a sense fresh every day? It says to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the what? The right to become children of God. Think about that. The son of God made child. We can become children of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, the will of man, but of God. That's what he became flesh to do. So this morning, let's receive his grace and truth again. Let it cause joy and hope and peace in your heart and mind. And then let's sing of his grace and truth together. And we're going to go ahead and close the song. Go the band come up and we'll pray. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you came to rescue us, that you sent your son to rescue us, that you, Jesus, came so that we might not be broken any longer. You have done what we could never do with all of our striving, all of our trying, all of our achievements we could never do. Jesus, by you coming, Lord, as we believe in you, we receive your gift of life you gave us the right to become children of God, children of this new creation with a new nature. God, I pray that that would affect us, that we would marvel, and that, Lord, we would receive afresh today your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.